welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Rebecca Farmer, known as Tailored Keto Health on Instagram, is an overcomer of over 10 autoimmune diseases, including chronic Lyme disease, chronic C. diff, severe mood disorders, digestive issues, among others. At one point, she was told not to expect to live past 30 years old. Fortunately for her, she believed that there is no such thing as an incurable chronic diagnosis. She realized that the body has an incredible ability to heal itself when we remove the external interferences and provide the proper foundation for health. She's thriving now more than she ever has in her entire life and now gets to walk alongside others during their own healing journeys. She loves her faith and also loves nature, biohacking, CrossFit, and absolutely loves helping people. You can find her on Instagram at, K- at T- <laughs> Taylor Keto Health. I knew I was going to mess that up. I did it twice. <laughs> Rebecca, <laughs> it is great. an absolute honor to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite an intro. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, it's such an honor to have you on. You were actually highly recommended by one of my clients who manages a lot of her chronic diseases through um, eating a carnivore diet. So she told me to reach out to you and you were kind enough to awesome. agree to the um, interview. And yeah, you're you're making a difference with the people that I love. So that's tremendous. And it's a real Aww. honor, real honor to welcome you to the show. Um, I have to say, before we get rolling, the, the greatest gift of 2020 was, you know, the shutdown. And when everything shut down, we lost our jobs at a big corporate office. And we we saw this yeah. like kind of like trade where, you know, we weren't making as much money, but now we had more time. And one of my favorite things to do with all that time is go on walks. And I'll walk around my neighborhood and... Um, you know, it, it's, it's really nice to, to use that time for something. It's where I write a lot of my scripts. It's a great place to, you know, go and think and, you know, be really contemplative. And it sounds like, sounds like you're into walking too. Can you tell us about a time when that maybe backfired? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, probably about 20 minutes ago, <laughs> I, um, decided to take another route and I got lost. So we had to postpone this. Thank goodness you were very patient with me. Um, what makes it even more interesting is that I kind of live in the ghetto. So there are some streets that I need to avoid. (laughs) And (laughs) so that makes it even more interesting. Um, but it worked out and I do, I love walking. And I actually, it's funny you mentioned that because during the pandemic, that's all I did. You know, the gyms closed down. So I would just go on long, long walks with my girlfriends and I got to explore so many different towns. Um, Mm. and that was just really cool. I'll never forget it. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. What a gift. Sometimes it can backfire on us. (laughs) Um, but you're right. Like it's a, it's such a cool way to slow down and see the world. When you go out on your walks, are you listening to something? Is there anything you have going on? Are you just kind of using that as downtime to think? I usually listen to podcasts, but today I was listening to music and I was totally jamming. Um, (laughs) and the school was just letting out too. There's a, like an elementary school near my house. So I was just dancing with all those kids. (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing. It was pretty fun. <laughs> wow. Well, that's awesome. You have such a unique story. We kind of alluded to it in the introduction. I feel like I had kind of an awkward, you know, middle school, high school experience, but that doesn't touch anything that you experienced. Can you, can you share a little bit about your story? So I, um, I just feel like I've lived enough, a life to be 90 years old by now, but <laughs> the best part is I, this is just the beginning. And in a lot of ways, I feel as if I've had a second chance at life. Mm. Um, I really am thriving more than I ever have before. So I was diagnosed with osteoporosis in sixth grade. So at a very young age, malnutrition definitely going on. Um, as 
you know, as I went through middle school, high school, even past high school, I was always getting sick. I was being put on antibiotics on a regular basis, at least, at least three times a year, probably four, more like four times a year, just getting sick, you know, strep throat and just a cold or whatever. I had asthma, um, you know, as a really young child, I remember like being excited about getting an inhaler and I'll never forget my cousin being like, you shouldn't be excited about that. That's a bad thing. And I didn't even understand. Um, and let's see, in seventh grade, I ran into very severe mood disorders. So I was diagnosed with ADHD, OCD, anxiety, insomnia, depression, and narcolepsy. And I was put on Adderall, clonazepam, and Ambien. And I took those for over 13 years. Yikes. And um, it was just a matter of needing more and more and more just to barely get by. It's not like these ever really helped that much. It's like they helped me to function maybe. Um, but I was definitely like a zombie and they took away a lot of my personality. They stole a lot of joy. So um, after high school, I had just gone through wisdom teeth removal surgery and I was on the antibiotics and narcotics that they give you for pain. And I believe that was the last straw of my gut, actually. So I ran into suffocation attacks um, so bad that I would end up in the emergency room. And these went on, on a, they started occurring on a regular basis. And it got so bad that I actually had to move back in with my parents. My engagement fell apart. I broke up with them because it was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening to me. I, my life was flashing before my eyes. I had to quit my job due to medical instability. I was literally prohibited to work by my doctors. And, um, and I became bedbound. And this was only, this all happened within a matter of two or three months. And it happened very quickly. And it's like, um, it's kind of like, I was in shock, but I also wasn't surprised because my entire life I had felt like I was going to crash. And I always had a hard time keeping jobs, always had a hard time, you know, even in recess, I would have to sit out because I would be so exasperated and exhausted. Um, so that's when I decided to get off of those medications, quit working with traditional medicine doctors because they didn't have anything to offer me but more drugs. And those weren't even helping. So that's when I sought out the help of functional medicine doctors. And I was in 2017, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease. And I thought that was going to be the worst of my problems. Um, now, as I tell this story, honestly, that was the least of my problems. Of everything I've went through, chronic Lyme was probably the least of it. Um, what helped a lot during that time was a very strict ketogenic diet. So I was already ketogenic for over 15 years, actually. I grew up doing keto. Wow. And I was paleo before that. I never ate standard American diet. But when I had that Lyme disease and I was bed downed, I was dealing with severe adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue, and non-epileptic seizures. So I would actually have seizures. And so that strict ketogenic diet, it was like a four to one fat to protein ratio, very high fat. It really did help with the seizures. Um, and it allowed me to get out of bed and kind of pretend I was a normal person at least. Um, and so I thought that was 
a really, really exciting thing. And that was pretty much the point that I decided I want to become a health coach. And I knew that I couldn't at the time. I was still way too sick. But that's when God really put it on my heart. And, um, but he had a lot more in store for me. So things continued to get worse. I actually started to lose really, really rapid amounts of weight. And I did not understand what was going on. Most people said, well, of course you're losing weight. You're on a ketogenic diet. Um, but I was eating at one point 6,000 calories per day, wow. literally 6,000 calories. Wow. I was making ketogenic ice cream and it's very easy to eat. <laughs> um, I went and saw like a children's neurologist. They recommended keto for their therapies. And they said that I had an eating disorder and no one believed me. Um, except for Dr. Eric Westman. I did work with him as well in Durham, North Carolina. And he was very encouraging to me, but he also didn't understand why I was so underweight and losing weight. Mm. Um, so I stopped working with him because we, we couldn't go anywhere. And um, so I was working with my functional medicine doctor. And at one point she said, okay, I want you to check yourself into UNC Chapel Hill and see their multi-specialist. And so that's what I went to do. And I checked in in the emergency room as I was told to. And that was the worst place to use a playful choice of words. So when they asked me, do you have any thoughts of harming yourself? I said, well, yes and no, because I have autoimmune disease. And essentially my body is attacking itself. And they did not think that was funny. They um, put me in the psych ward. I was held in a rubber room for a whole day. <sighs> then they moved me to the crisis unit. And then I was moved to the trauma unit. And then finally, after three or four days of being held there without knowing what was going on and no one really listening to me, um, like no one was getting me to the person I was sent there to be with. And turns out one of the nurses in the, in the trauma unit petitioned with other doctors to have me sent to the eating disorder unit. I confided in this nurse. I told her, yeah, I, I have a lot of autoimmune disease. I have chronic Lyme disease. That's why I'm here. I do a ketogenic diet, which has helped. And that's pretty much the only thing that has helped. So this nurse saw me very emaciated, underweight, and saw me eating a bunch of raw beef because I was eating raw at the time. Wow. <laughs> and, and avocados. And she said, this girl has an eating disorder. So she petitioned to have me sent to the eating disorder unit. And when I got there, um, you know, I was just like, this is wrong. This is, I shouldn't be here. They took all my supplements that I was taking and, and um, they told my mom who was with me, they said, you can't believe anything that your daughter says to you. Wow. She has an eating disorder and she will lie to you. And they also told her that my stomach was too small to digest food anymore and that I would die if I didn't go. <laughs> so, um, so my family obviously was scared to death and they held me there and I won't forget calling them that evening and saying, why isn't anyone here to get me out of here? And they said, if you try to check yourself out, you won't have a roof to come live under. Wow. And it's because they were scared, you know? Mm. And, and of course at the time I, I felt like that there could be no worse betrayal, but looking back, if I had a child who was 69 pounds and had been losing weight, you know, for months and months and months, what else could they think? Right. Um, and the fact of the matter is, I was close to death. 
I needed help gaining weight. And so that I was held there for an entire month and I ate six meals per day. I ate about five apples every day and it was 75% carbohydrates, pretty low fat. And the type of fat they gave us wasn't real fat for the most part. It was, um, you know, hydrogenated oil. And I did not go to the bathroom for an entire month. I mean, wow. I didn't poop for an entire month until they gave me a bottle of mag citrate. Um, it was horrible. It was very traumatizing. And I left there with an eating disorder. Okay. So um, I was going to ask you about that. Do you, so, so 2020, yeah. looking back, hindsight, perfect hindsight, you for sure did not have an eating disorder when you entered the, the clinic. Right. But then wow. when I left, I did. Mm. It messed with my psyche so much. The things that they told us, I, you know, I spoke with the doctor. We got to speak with the doctor, um, the residential doctor every morning. And every morning it was just me. It was like going to court. It was me saying, I don't belong here. Get me out of here. You know, X, Y, Z. Talk to my doctors and just going through the motions. Talk to my chiropractor. Um but of course, you know, that stuff took time and I didn't get anywhere. And, um, so we were told things like if, if I had a gluten sensitivity, then it was psychosomatic. Then it was all in my head and that gluten sensitivity didn't exist. They literally told us that, um, you know, I remember the first day I sat down, I asked, can I speak with the dietitian in private? And she was a sweet girl younger and you know, I could tell she had an open mind at least. And I was like, look, I have autoimmune disease. I probably am not coming from the same place as a lot of these people. I recognize I'm underweight, but I eat a ketogenic diet for pain. I eat it to mitigate seizures, to mitigate chronic pain for all of these other things. And she said, you know, I can do my best, but I don't think you're going to really get anywhere in here because what, what we feed you is the, the standard diabetic diet, the official diabetic diet, which is 75% carbohydrates. Insane. Insane. And then you can't make insane. that up. And then she said, and then she was like, but it's, I don't think it's as bad as what you think. And then literally she was like, you know, while we're here, it's actually time for your first, for your snack. Yeah. I got there like right after breakfast time. So it was like the first snack and she gave me saltines and an orange. <laughs> And that was my snack. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, it's going to be a long time in here. So, um, yeah, it was just crazy. And my roommate, I'm, I'm writing a book and I write a lot about my roommate too, because she, she had been in treatment. Um, this was like her ninth one and she was older than I was. And her entire life was in and out of eating disorder treatment because she still believed the lie that we needed to eat every two hours. And, um, and she was addicted to food and she didn't understand why she thought it was all in her head. Wow. And that's what all these people thought. And that's what we were taught. And so I came out of there with an eating disorder and that's when I developed binge eating when I came out of there, because I wished that my problems were just a matter of fixing my mind. I wished it was as simple as, okay, just gain weight. If it were that simple, I would have done it. And I developed binge eating disorder and I basically was just trying to eat as much as possible without having a flare up or without getting sick. And I would stay up all night long and, um, you know, just eat a bunch of healthy food. I never ate junk food. Um, but there were some mornings where I would be up all night and then I would go to Panera and be like, okay, I'm going to get over this idea that gluten is going to hurt me. 
and I would order all the gluten and I would be so sick. I couldn't leave my bed. And I did that only a couple of times. I'm not stupid enough to do that over and over because I truly was bed bound. And it was like, okay, they were wrong. I was right. (laughs) Um, But so around that time is when I finally was diagnosed with a chronic C. diff infection. C. diff is a bad bacteria that takes over the good bacteria in your gut. And that's why I was losing so much weight. I think I had this for a long time before I was actually diagnosed with it. And so I was put on antibiotics and I was resistant to all of the antibiotics. And I actually went through, I had to go through each antibiotic five times, no, three times. They have five different antibiotics for C. diff. And I had to go through each one three times before being approved for a fecal transplant. So I went through 13 rounds of antibiotics, didn't take two of them, um, but 13 rounds of antibiotics is a lot. Wow. And do you, and you took them a lot as a kid. Do you think that had an impact as well? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that's where a lot of my problems came from, as well as taking Adderall for 13 years yeah. and clonazepam, which is a benzopidine, which destroys your gut as well, mm. um, you know, at at the order of my doctors. So... Um, so yeah, then I was approved for the fecal transplant. I had three fecal transplants total and I still had this C. diff infection. So I was told that it had seeded in my gut, which means it was just permanently there. And they said, we're going to have to remove your colon and hook you up to a feeding tube. And that's when I gave up keto and I committed to carnivore. But this time around, it was in a different way. I had tried carnivore before, but it was very strict. It was what I read online. It was beef salt water for 30 days and nothing else. And every time I tried that, I felt worse. So this time around, it was more of a conviction that God was giving me. And he was saying, you got to give up keto because that's the only thing you feel like you have control over and you're trying to micromanage here. And I really was. Mm. I felt like keto had been so helpful in the past. And that's what I was trying to rely on, but it wasn't helping me anymore. Mm. It just wasn't. And I was convicted. Yeah. And, um, and that's when I decided, okay, I know there's something to carnivore and I craved meat like crazy. So I just decided to do it, but have grace on myself and allow myself to eat certain things that some people would smack my hand for eating like stevia. And I allowed myself to eat dairy in the beginning because it was easier for me to eat than steak. I was 69 pounds. Steak is very, very filling and satiating. There's no way I would be able to eat enough if I had tried to do just beef, salt, and water. It just didn't work. Um, So I was in the emergency room at that time, and I gained four pounds in the emergency room. My blood sugar stabilized. I stopped having um, ulcerative colitis flare-ups, so I stopped involuntarily throwing up, and... um, And that's when the doctor told me, go home and do your weird all meat diet. And that's what I've done since then. That was May of 2019. And I've done it since then. And I've gained 65 healthy pounds. I have overcome every single diagnosis. My labs are textbook perfect, except for vitamin B12, which is very high. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And I'm thriving more than I ever had before. I do CrossFit. I did a double wad today. So I did two CrossFit workouts this morning voluntarily. And I feel excellent. My brain works, my body works, and I am a full-time health and life coach. I got my certification in early 2020. 
And um, that's what I've been doing ever since then. It's my full-time job. And I could not be more grateful. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing that, that crazy story and, and thank <laughs> you for pushing through, you know, you, you now can yeah. be an example and such a beacon of light for people who are in such darkness like you were. Um, I, I just want to clarify too, now that you're a health coach, I'm sure you see this all the time where somebody says, yeah, I'm eating a keto diet and you go, Oh, great. And you think about, you know, what you think a keto diet should be. And then they tell you they're eating, you know, slim fast mm -hmm. keto snacks and diet Cokes and things like that. And, yes. Yeah. If, if I look back at your diet, were you like that? Good question. Um, in the beginning, no. So for that 15 years that I was doing keto, no, I grew up doing real keto and I was metabolically flexible um, you know, insulin sensitive. It wasn't until I became so emaciated that I became uh, insulin resistant. But, um, near the end, after I got back out of that eating disorder unit, when they told me that there were no good or bad foods, that's when I started eating the keto junk food. Mm. Gotcha. Because I decided, well, my goal is to eat as much as possible. So obviously I'm going to start buying more of these hyper palatable things so I can eat more because they're easier to just eat and eat and eat. Mm. And if it doesn't make any difference, then that's what I'm going to do. So yeah, I, that's when I started eating some more of those things, but I still wasn't, I still wasn't mindless about it, you know? Um, but I was getting into like, you know, I could do a whole jar of coconut mana. Like it was nothing. <laughs> wow. But um, you were still making your food at this point, right? Totally. Mm. The whole time I was preparing my food, but like I said, I ate raw for some time. Cause I was so starved for nutrients and that's what I craved. So there was not a lot of preparation there. Mm. Um, but I would make, I would make like cloud bread, you know, keto cloud bread or keto pudding. And some, some of my recipes were created back then. That's when I learned a lot about putting together things that were hyper palatable and provided variety, but were also not full of junk. Yeah. Um, but then at some point I just really just, I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be able to, you know, all my friends were living their lives, getting married, graduating, going to, going to college and eating Chick-fil-A every day. And it was like, why can't I be like that? So why can't I just, you know, get a bunch of keto ice cream and quest nacho cheese chips? Those things taste good, but they did not make me feel good. Mm. And they didn't do me any favors. Wow. They didn't even help me gain weight. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. You know, ketogenic diets obviously are amazing and I do carnivore now, but you know, got onto carnivore the way most people do, which is through ketogenic diets. They can be so healing for so many reasons and they sound like they definitely helped you with your seizures. What do you think was lacking about the ketogenic diet that the carnivore diet was then able to help you the most with? The ketogenic diet, it's actually what it included, which is anti-nutrient. So my ketogenic diet consisted of a lot of baby spinach. I had that every day. Um, I would have sweet potatoes and I would have a ton of turmeric and black pepper. And all four of those things are really high in oxalate. I think oxalate is the number one anti-nutrient that really has hurt me for a long time. And doing carnivore took away all of those things. And anti-nutrients can bind to the other nutrients that we eat um, to prevent absorption and cause autoimmune flare-ups and all sorts of other issues. Wow. Um, I remember the first two weeks of carnivore, I felt a major improvement in my mood and energy. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to try some baby spinach. 
how bad could that be? And the next morning after eating some baby spinach, my ankles were so swollen, I could not put on my own shoes. And that's when I realized, okay, Sally Norton is not a quack. Oxalates are real. Anti-nutrients are real. And I'm just not messing with that anymore. Wow. Well, we're, so, um, we're, we're glad you mentioned Sally. We're going to have her on our show in a few weeks and we're going to deep dive awesome. into her. I know, I know. She's just amazing. She's so cool. So cool. But like when you're talking to somebody and you're telling them the baby spinach is not necessarily that great for you, the broccoli is not necessarily all that great for you, don't they just look at you like you're growing another head out of your shoulders? Yeah, literally. They look at me like I'm trying to hurt them, almost. Mm. They yeah. look at me like... You know, why would you say that to me? Like, almost like I'm actually hurting them. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I can understand how it would hurt because someone lied to you (laughs) for a long time. It's either me or their doctors for their entire lives or even their own parents, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's not even that. I don't think broccoli and spinach are bad things, but they don't want to be eaten. Plants have anti-nutrients for a reason. And anti-nutrients are poison. Everyone tolerates different levels of poison. So I can eat things now that I couldn't before, mm. but it's only because I've healed my gut. So when my gut was in a permeable state from all of those antibiotics and Adderall and clonazepam, I couldn't handle those anti-nutrients. Mm. Um, whereas I can now, but I just don't crave them because I'm still not getting anything from them. Yeah. You know. Um, so that's the, that's the difference. It really matters context is key and there is no one diet that fits all, but there is one ultimate elimination diet and that is the carnivore diet. Yeah, sure. And just looking at it like a tool, I mean, I'm sure you kind of looked at it like I did in the very beginning, which was just one month before your experiment started. I think a lot of people do that. It's like 30 days, 30 days, days. (laughs) I'll do it for 30 days. And then 30, the eight 31 rolls around and you're like, well, uh, this is great. I feel amazing. Um, I'm going to forget to not go back to what I was doing before. Yeah. Why stop? Why would I want to spend money on plants? Why would I? I've tried to eat salads and I just feel like a rabbit. Like, why am I eating this? (laughs) Why am I wasting my energy? Why am I wasting my money? I enjoy like mushrooms and garlic, but I use those for garnish. I'm not using, I'm not trying to get anything from them, you know? Yeah. So my thinking has changed. And I think that can be hard for a lot of people. But if you actually sit down and just Google the nutrients in beef liver versus any other superfood. It'll just blow your mind. You get everything that you need from meat. And on top of that, it's bioavailable for humans. Whereas, you know, vegetables or plants, they have to be digested. They have to be fermented. And um, we don't have stomachs like cows or gorillas who can easily break down those plant foods. Mm. We're not created that way. Yeah. It's really interesting to know those animals actually run on fat because they have different stomachs, even though they're eating all those, all those plants and carbohydrates and cellulose that the, 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 you know, those chambers that they have, they're huge, by the way, that's why they all have such huge guts. Um, it's fermenting all of that plant material into fat. And so even a cow eating tons of grass is running on fat. Wow. I never thought about that. That's so crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's super weird. Um, 
I'm, I'm glad you huh. mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned the bioavailability. I can't remember who it was in our space that always talks about like it's it's a it's in a system that that we are designed for. We are we came from carnivores like Mickey Bendor, Bendor yeah. always talks about like we're fat hunters and it, it's it's like running Mac and PC almost like you can you can make some applications kind of cross over between Mac and PC but they're not going to work right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Interesting. And when I asked you, you know, what the difference was between the ketogenic diet and the carnivore diet and what you thought it was, I think it's also interesting to think about your answer wasn't, I added a bunch of healthy things. It was that you had to remove things that weren't great for you yeah. that had accumulated over a, a great amount of time. Yeah. And those things were superfoods on top of that. All of those things were healthy. Baby spinach, sweet potato, turmeric. Those are so-called superfoods. You know, people mega dose those because they think it's so good for them. And that's what I had to remove. And I'm just so grateful God twisted my arm. He pretty much just said, look, you think you know it all, but you don't. <laughs> and you're hurting yourself. Wow. And that's what I needed. And I really, when I let go of all those ideals, it helped me to use my critical thinking skills, you yeah. know? That's amazing. And tap into intuition. That's amazing. And one of the things that tends to improve on a carnivore diet is critical thinking and critical mind definitely. energy. I mean, did you, is that something that you definitely noticed that you were able to think more 100%, clearly? 100%. Mm. 100%. Like I said, my mood and energy were the first things to pick up. And um, a couple of other people, Michaela Peterson said the same thing. In about two weeks, mood and energy picked up. And I've heard other people say that, but... Um, I, at the time I was actually in an abusive relationship and I was not in contact with my own family. I had moved to Illinois and this person ended up being a narcissist and I was so sick. I didn't, you know, I couldn't get out and I was actually looking into shelters and the shelters were full. So when I was in this emergency room, I was actually telling the doctors also, please don't make me go home to this person. Wow. So when I was released, I actually had this newfound momentum and it was like, I'm not going to let this guy talk down to me anymore. And it was like, I had a backbone again and he didn't intend to intimidate me. I started taking cold showers and I just wasn't taking his crap. And you could tell he was like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got out. And so, yeah, it, it changed who I was. I wasn't a victim anymore. Mm. And I was, and I also felt like, you know, I knew that God was providing for me and I just knew, I didn't know how, but I knew he would provide and he really did in amazing ways. Mm, that's incredible. So, so you kind of started this carnivore diet in the hospital. Um, how long would you say, again, looking back hindsight, how long would you say the healing took? I know it kind of happens in stages and some things take, you know, longer than others, but when, how long would you say being on the carnivore diet it, that pretty much everything was resolved? Um, probably eight months because that's when I got my period back mm. around 104 pounds. And that was like the last thing to happen. All my labs were already perfect, but I was still waiting to get my period back. And, um, but even still after that, I still experienced better and better. Like my energy, you know, that's, I started doing CrossFit and, um, you know, still getting stronger. I'm still getting stronger. Mm. And so I would say that it's still happening, but I would say, you know, 
I really did overcome everything and I hit my best than I've ever been in like eight months or so. Wow. Wow. Carnivore. To the yeah. point that you can walk around sketchy neighborhoods and nobody's going to pick on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Or at least I'll, I won't let them bother me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to ask you about women and the carnivore diet and things like fertility or, you know, controlling, yeah. controlling the hormones during their cycle. Where do you lean between like women should definitely carb cycle here or there, or mm-hmm. they should remain I don't more lean strict? There. there is no leaning. Okay. I mean, it's, it all just depends on preference. I'm not a carb Nazi. And if, if you think that helps you, then go ahead and do it. But I think that it's hurting you more than it's helping you in the long run. So I prefer to use fat. People say that carbs help because they solicit a serotonin release and lower cortisol, but fat does the same thing. Fat produces serotonin and helps to produce melatonin. Um, and fat is the cholesterol or cholesterol is, is the precursor to all of our hormones anyways. So I've worked with a lot of women to get their cycles back and, for, and you know, regulate fertility or even women going through menopause. Um, and I've never used carbs. Um, I've never needed to. Now, sometimes people are curious and I'll say, sure, you know, have some berries. But even if you do decide to carb cycle, you don't need more than 25 carbs. You don't need that much anyways. So there's really no reason to do these carb ups. Mm. Um, that's not true. Now, I do think there is truth. You know, when people say is keto safe to do long term, I believe so. Yes, but I don't think it's safe to do low protein for a long time. So some people think of keto as like, you know, 80 grams of protein, and I think that's not enough. Mm. I don't think that's sustainable. So I will be clear about that. But in terms of carbs, I don't think there are any, there are no essential carbs. Mm. And if you're choosing to use them as a woman to lower cortisol, you just need to know that you can do it without carbs. You Mm. just have to be a little bit more patient and a little bit more strategic. And it depends on the situation. Gotcha. Is there a period in the cycle where you would expect to need more fat for most women? Um, Right before your bleed week. So right before we have our actual period, we actually need a surplus of around 300 calories. And that's when most women will start having cravings and will feel ravenous. And I think that's the most important time to get enough calories and enough fat because that fat really gets your central nervous system into a supported place. Mm. Um, It gets you out of fight or flight mode. It lowers your cortisol. It, you know, fuels your sex hormones. Um, So for me, I actually eat pretty high protein now, but every seven to 14 days, I crave a lot of fat and I eat a ton of fat and then I feel fine. I feel great. Is it just as easy as listening to your body? It is now, but it's only been that way for a couple of months now. Mm. So in the beginning, I was still very, very high fat because I knew that was important, especially as someone with. I was six to six percent body fat when I started. Whoa! That was my first reading uh, at the in body at, at my old gym, and now I'm twenty percent. And um, so it's you know very low body fat. You have to have enough dietary fat coming in. Mm. Um, but now I'm you know I'm able to do some protein sparing or whatever. Um, mm. But it's a matter of 
you know, my hormones as well and what I'm eating. Okay. And when you're talking about adding fat, are you talking about like, like a, like a tablespoon of butter or are you talking about like the entire stick of butter just to give like a visual, like when we, when we're talking about high fat, how much higher fat is that? High fat is definitely more than a tablespoon of butter. When I say high fat, I mean at least two to one fat to protein in grams. Mm. So that would look like, but I don't, you know, everyone likes to get their fat from a different source. It can be butter. It can be egg yolks. It can be bone marrow. It can be suet. It can be beef fat trimmings. My favorite source of fat is on the meat that I eat. My favorite meat company is Billy Doe Meats. Um, and it's because they have a ton of lamb, fatty, delicious lamb. And it's just easy. I don't have to supplement my fat. So they have some cuts of meat that are a naturally two to one fat to protein ratio. Um, beef tongue is naturally two to one fat to protein. Hmm. So there's no, you don't have to do any math. Um, so that's what I mean by high fat, at least double fat in grams. Um, I think that a moderate fat carnivore diet would be like one to one. And that's honestly a weight loss diet on the carnivore diet, one to one. Um, you don't have to go any lower than that. I don't think you should have to, mm. but Interesting. yeah. Interesting. And you yeah. don't notice, you don't notice a difference in the quality of digestion, depending on, you know, whether it's like a rendered fat versus like you said, the fat that oh, comes I on do. the meat. Oh, you do. 100%. Okay. Rendered, I always recommend staying away from rendered fat. Essentially what happens when we eat rendered fat is it's entering the gallbladder at a rate that the liver can't produce enough bile to break it down. So it's like pouring water into a Brita filter without a filter. And this is why people get nauseous, they get diarrhea, they get heart palpitations. It, you were not designed to drink fat. And I know that there are some people that say, well, I do fine with it. But even if you do fine with it, is it really about what you can get away with? Or is it about what's optimal? Because I don't think you're assimilating all that fat. If you're having diarrhea and if it's going straight through you, then you're missing the point. We want to use that fat as fuel. So I always recommend eating fat raw, mm. unless it's on the meat that you're eating. But, you know, if you make a homemade bone broth and there's a bunch of oil floating around in it, I don't think you should drink that. Mm. I think you should let it harden and remove the tallow. Um, if people are eating butter, I think you should eat it. I keep my butter in the freezer and I eat it frozen. I think that's optimal, but everyone's different. Um, but I do notice a major difference in digestion and assimilation. Got it. Got it. No, that's really well explained. And it's something that you, you kind of have to clarify with people what, what you're defining is like higher fat and understanding the amounts. Yeah. I get it with salt all the time too. Like people say like, yeah, oh, yeah. like, like I definitely use salt. And you realize after talking to them, like, no, you, you shake a little oh, bit don't. of salt on your food. Like you oh, need goodness. grams it and grams. Me. Totally. Oh my gosh. The salt. I'm taking around 10 grams of salt per day. Mm. And some of my clients are like, you know, I'm like, please, get at least three teaspoons and they're like that's a ton of salt like <laughs> and I'm like oh my gosh I wouldn't even taste it I mean I'm taking like tablespoons of it and salt is so good for you we need it for our colon for insulin sensitivity our brains run on electromagnetic frequencies that's electrolytes guys we need salt Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. I love Redmond Real Salt, and they have this six-gram little plastic container that looks about the size of a D battery. And I'll just keep it with me for most of my activities, but I also keep it with me during consulting calls to, to visually show people, like, check this thing out. Again, it's about is the size. Is that how much it is? Yeah, it's a that six grams. One, that's six grams. Six grams. Yeah, and yeah, people I'm like— I'm probably getting 20 grams per day then. 
Nice. <laughs> that's great. Even better. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome visual though. That's it is. Cool. It is. Yeah. And once people see it, they go, oh wow. Like, yeah, I was shaking some salt on my dinner and felt really weird and bad about it. Now I'm going around craving sugar or crazy craving chips, or I feel cold, yeah, especially yeah. my hands and feet or get lightheaded or cramps or any of that other stuff. And it's like, yeah. you're not even in the ballpark of how much salt you need. Yeah, not even. Wow. Wow, that's wild. It's so crazy. So I'm curious to hear about your journey into strength training because I know for women that can be a little bit challenging, especially initially. Did you run into any challenges or difficulties when you were first starting with strength training? I mean, I started out at a point where it was hard to hold my own head up. I also, one of the autoimmune diseases I struggled with was um, crest scleroderma. And it's the hardening of, of tissues in your body. And crest variation is um, actually my internal organs were developing scar tissue. And so I had a lot of scar tissue built up in my upper, like, um, you know, my neck, my shoulders, my traps. And it really was limiting a lot of mobility. So I was getting physical therapy and grafton therapy, which is breaking up the scar tissue. And at the same time, that's when I started physical therapy and I started learning how to use proper body mechanics for the first time ever. And, and for the first time ever also, I was eating a diet that actually allowed my body to, to build muscle. So I started getting muscles in places I didn't know I was supposed to have muscle. And, um, so it wasn't really a challenge. Well, it was a challenge because it was brand new, but it was fun. It was like learning how to ride a bike. It was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I really like this and I'm, I'm not going to stop. And that's all it's looked like. I remember the first day I decided to step up to the barbell at Planet Fitness and I had a little pool noodle to use as a barbell pad on my back. And, um, I didn't really know what I was doing and now I'm doing CrossFit. And, um, so it's just little by little and challenging yourself and, I think it's really important to find something that you enjoy because if you're stressed out when you're working out, you're not going to do yourself any favors. Mm. That cortisol is going to cause you a bunch of inflammation and you're not going to stick with it. You would be better off just taking an enjoyable walk. Mm. Um, and then also like I started out with body weight exercises. I started out with yoga and Pilates and even just that along with, proper nutrition is enough to start building some foundational muscles. And I actually think that's, that's the most important part is like laying the foundation and making sure that you're using proper body mechanics or even at CrossFit. I made sure to choose a gym where the trainers are never pushing me to push weight. They are pushing proper form before anything. I use wooden plates for some movements still. I'm not using any weight. I'm learning the movement. I'm learning proper form. I'm learning to engage my core and protect myself from hurting myself. Um, So I would say that's a challenge is actually just being patient and enjoying the process and understanding that this is, this is a process. Like there would be no satisfaction if you, if you woke up tomorrow and you looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like that would be pretty cool, but it wouldn't be rewarding. (laughs) The reward is in the hard work that you do and, and the consistency and, and learning that you can do hard things. When I go to CrossFit every morning, it's the hardest thing that I do all day. And that feels really good. It's a great way to start my day. 
I love that. That is so wise. And and so many times we are after that end result without wanting to put in the work and do the process when you're absolutely right. Like the joy is in the journey. The 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 things that you're yeah. willing to suffer for and struggle through are the ones that mean the most in the end. And you think you are after this goal and once you have this goal everything's going to be hunky dory and people get really disappointed yeah. when they get there and find that they are no happier for having achieved what they wanted when they didn't appreciate the process. Yeah. That's, that's they great. actually might feel worse because yeah. they realize there's something missing and they still don't know what it is. Yeah. And I think that's the ability to love yourself and mm. to have grace with yourself. It took me a long time to figure out, but when I did, I found freedom and joy in the hard things. Mm. I love that. That's awesome. Have to give a huge shout out to your CrossFit gym. I have done CrossFit exactly, yeah. exactly one time. And the whole reason that I only did it once is because my experience oh, was no. not what you were describing. They oh. were just screaming at us to go harder, to go faster. There was no oh, form of correction. Man. So I just, I think it's unfortunate that boxes like that give CrossFit a bit of a bad name. And I'm so glad yeah, to hear that you're in a great spot with people that are instructing you and making sure that people are not getting hurt. I am. I had a lot of people message me when I talked about it on Instagram the first time. They're like, you're going to hurt yourself. Um, I did really luck out when I found this this gym, this box. Um, They are awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Good for them. We'll make sure we link them in the show notes to show some love for them. Oh, yeah, please do. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, I'm curious, what are your favorite lifts and what are your favorite uh, pieces of equipment to use? Oh, I love this. Um, my favorite lift is probably it's called the the crusher. It's um it's a oh, what is the crusher? <laughs> it's like a thruster and a um a clean. It's like a power clean and a thruster, I think. Um and then there's also one called the bear complex. And that's too hard to describe, but these are all a combination combination of Olympic movements. So I guess my favorite piece of equipment Actually, no. My favorite piece of equipment is the rope because I also love rope climbing. I just mm. think it's so fun. Wow. Um, yeah. That's great. Good answers. That It's funny. Like the, the hardest exercises have like the craziest names, like telling somebody to go do like executioners, you know, you're in for it. If, if your trainer says that. <laughs> or the devil press. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so what are your goals now with strength training? I know you mentioned that, that even today you're still getting stronger. Do you have anything that you are um, looking to do specifically or just kind of seeing where the journey takes you? Um, I haven't picked a weight yet. I don't really know what that looks like, but my goal is to keep getting stronger. So I, I have been consistently hitting PRs every two to three weeks and I want to keep that up. And my, I also want to get my double under by the end of this year. That's just jump roping. But honestly, a couple months ago, I couldn't even do singles. Like I just couldn't jump rope. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just progressively getting better. I would love to be able to do a pull-up. I still use a band, you know, I do assisted pull-ups. Um, but I'm down to just one band that doesn't do much for me. So I'm going to get there. My upper body is finally getting stronger. And, um, that's been a long-term goal. My back is strong. Like I can actually see a lot of definition. And so that feels really good because like I said, I used to not be able to hold my own head up. Um, I need to pick a number that I, I, and that's something I am thinking about actively. (laughs) I don't have that yet. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Well, you are health coaching. You are 
doing podcasts, you are, you know, getting lost in neighborhoods and having dance parties with, you know, kiddos in the neighborhood. <laughs> you have a lot going on and you've added to that um, writing a book. Can you tell us a little bit about um, why you decided to write a book and, and what the kind of general topic is going to be? It's going to be about hope. My book is going to be my testimony of what God has done in my life. I like to say that God is a healer and me is a medicine. And nothing that I have accomplished would have been done if it weren't for God. Everything has been God inspired. He's the one who twisted my arm, who convicted me. Yes, I played a part in obedience and surrender and seeking him, but it's all thanks to God. And so that's really what the book is about. Um, is having faith and not giving up. There are so many people that feel hopeless. There are people that are told that they have chronic, uncurable disease. And that's just not true. And I'm here to spread that message because everything that I went through was very lonely and hard. And, and I know that I know just everything I've been through, I feel like there's at least one thing that anyone could take away from. And I don't want to waste it. Um, it's a joy to be able to share. I'm very, very happy and I'm grateful. And it's the type of thing where I can't help but talk about it. I can't help it. Mm. You know, when you, when something so beautiful happens, you're not going to keep it to yourself. Mm. There's yeah. no reason to. So it's, it's really just, it's like therapy for me. And writing my book, honestly, is sometimes hard to go over some of these things that have happened. I have to take breaks. I only write for about I can't write for more than like 45 minutes and I still have nightmares sometimes. Um, and it does, it's not like it rattles me, but it's just kind of like, I'm still processing. Mm. This was traumatic. So it's also a form of therapy. Mm. I, I came across this. I'm so glad you brought up hope because I wanted to ask you about this. I came across something in my stoicism practice that said that mm. hope, hope is kind of something to be avoided because when you avoid hope, then you can be present with whatever's going on. And I thought about that and I thought there's mm. a lot of, there's a lot of situations where I think I agree with that, but being locked away in a padded room is probably not one of those times. Um, what do you think about that? I think that you, I think that having hope is part of being present. Hope is, um, you know, that's a really good point. I think the difference would be the difference between hope and faith. Faith is when you believe in something before you know how it's going to happen. You just believe it's going to happen. And that's like, that's like hope without the longing. It's like a conviction of hope. It's like, I know that I know that I know that God is going to provide. And I do, I would agree that hope is kind of like a longing sort of thing. Um, but sometimes people need that. Yeah. Um, sometimes people need hope instilled into them. And I think it's very important to be, con to find contentment in the process, in the present moment, because every struggle that we face can be a lesson. It's an opportunity to grow and it's an opportunity to learn and to become more resilient. And it never has to be wasted. I used to just dread the thought of how many years were wasted, you know, when all my friends were getting married or blah, blah, blah. And I was bed bound. It was just like, I'm never going to get this time back. And that's not true. God has given it back. And he's, he's, you know, more than tripled all of my biggest dreams in a matter of, you know, one year and, and it just keeps getting better. So that's a message that I think everyone needs to hear maybe to inspire them to make more of this present moment 
and to change their perspective from despairing into, okay, this is just part of the process and I'm going to grow from it. Wow. Wow. What a great way to answer that question. I absolutely love that. Have you been, have you been pretty faith-based um, for most of your life? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, however, my relationship with God was never intimate until these past two years, until mm. I really depended on him, until I really surrendered to him. I always withheld parts of my heart and even my obedience. You know, it was like pick and choose, and that's not the way that it works. Mm. And so I really learned what it was like to be recklessly in love with my Savior and versus just going to church. Um, and so, yeah, that relationship is now there. It's, it's real. It's why I'm still here. Mm. Um, and I've always wanted to have faith in God. I've always wanted this relationship, but I, I never really quite got to that depth that I that I was longing for. Mm. I was just curious because like when you're in your darkest days, you know, some of these situations are extremely difficult being in pain, you know, being isolated, isolated from the family, not having people listen to you. I just, I wonder, I wonder how, how that faith helped keep you going because it would be yeah, of, of anybody I've ever talked to. It's like, you have the most ability to just give up at this point. Like, I don't know how, how much rock bottomy rock bottom can be for you. That's, that's a really tough thing. So how, how do you think you're able to let that grow your faith in God? Because I believe in God's promises and God's word more than my own feelings. That's what it boils down to. Faith has more to do with obedience than feelings. Faith has to do with you know, rooting yourself in God's word over, over my emotions, over what I'm feeling in this moment, um, over what I feel like doing it's truth. And that's what really kept me holding on. And, and also even in my darkest days, when I wasn't in contact with my family, when I lost 99.9% of my friends, I was kicked out of my best friend's wedding, just horrible, painful things. But God would still make himself known, whether it be strangers coming up to me and speaking words of love and encouragement to me, or, or just, um, you know, people providing money when I didn't have enough money to buy food, like things that I couldn't have imagined, like I couldn't make this stuff up. And it was just God saying, I'm still here. I'm still providing but I'm waiting for you to come around. And I didn't really know what that looked like yet, but it was undeniable. He made himself known to me even when I was withholding from him. And so that's what kept me holding on because it was undeniable. Mm, wow. One of the most interesting things that happened to me when I went carnivore, it was, was very, very surprising. And it was this, this just up leveling of spirituality. I couldn't believe how much more grateful I felt, how much more spiritual and connected mm. I was to the world. And it's one of my favorite things to ask people, um, you know, yeah. when they switched to carnivore and I asked one of our past guests, John Franco, who lives in Portugal, and he thought about it for a second. He turned around and asked me, he's like, don't you think that when you eat what you are supposed to be eating, that we have eaten for as, as long as we've evolved, that we put ourselves in better alignment, you yeah. know, in the universe or with God or whatever. And I'm just curious what, how, how important has a carnivore diet been for you, for your own spirituality? Huge. I think that it's just like anyone else. 
I have a responsibility to take care of my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm running on carbohydrates, I'm not a very friendly person. I get very irritable. I think about food all the time and I snap at people and I get hangry and I am just not at peace with the world. (laughs) Um, But when I eat this way, my blood sugars are stable. I am not plagued by autoimmune disease or blood sugar swings. And that makes me a lot more um, resilient and capable to, to really look inwards. You know, um, even I have deeper sleep. I think about the Bible. I mean, Jesus fasted, you know, there was, there's something to fasting. There were some things, um, you know, some prayers, people can be delivered of certain, certain things, uh, without fasting. And I honestly think that has to do with ketogenesis and autophagy and all of these benefits of fasting and low insulin. I believe that's how God created us. Um, some people draw the line between God and science, but God created science, in my opinion. Mm. It it doesn't have to disagree. It actually quite complements everything. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that eating this way is helps me with my spiritual walk as well, very much so. Okay. And and it boils right down to the emergency room when, you know, I was I was depending on my diet more than God. Wow. That's amazing. What a very thoughtful answer. I'm wondering if you had one simple tip that you would like to leave with the listener, if they only had one thing to walk away from this, with this conversation with, what would that one thing be? Mm, To be open-minded. I would really just say, just be open-minded. And even with the carnivore diet, just realize that it's probably not going to look like everyone else. You need to let you do you think about Think about what your bio-individual needs are. Think about what will make this sustainable for you because that's all that matters. And don't compare yourself to other people. Mm, that's great advice. I love it. Rebecca, this has been an amazing conversation. Where do you want people to go to find you and find your work? Um, on my Instagram, I'm most active there at Taylor Keto Health. And my website is linked in the bio. My email is there. So you can message me, send me whatever. Um, that's probably the best place to find me. Excellent. We will link to all of that. Rebecca Farmer, uh, Taylor Keto Health. I got it right that time, I think. (laughs) You got it. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so very much. much. Um, This has been a really fun conversation and you've really gone through a lot. And we've said this to some of our guests in the past. It's one thing to, you know, have have gone through these challenges and just ride off in the sunset versus people like you that are sharing this message, are so excited to share the message and are finding new ways to reach people. And like you said, to provide hope for people who may not have any. And so we're, we're so grateful for all of that and grateful for you and grateful for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Casey. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. 